Well, thank you, Dave, for that reminder that it won't be until next year that we meet again like this. Of course, we come to the end of what's been a momentous year, internationally, nationally, and for us as a church as well. And as we think towards 2020, I think we'd all agree if there's one thing we all want, it's good leadership, how essential that is. It's amazing what can be achieved through good leadership. If we were to go back to May 26, 1940, our troops were trapped at Dunkirk. There seemed only the possibility of rescuing 20, 20,000, and the whole country was aghast at what was happening. And the king came on the radio, and he called upon everybody to have a day of prayer the following Sunday. And the response was overwhelming. Churches were packed, there were queues all down the pavements outside the cathedrals, and the whole country turned to prayer in response to that good leadership of the king. We know the results. 336,000 men were saved by 800 different vessels that went across the channel and God intervened regarding the weather and so on. It was a miracle because the country prayed. But that stimulus for that miracle, which came from prayer, was from good leadership. So where are we looking for good leadership for 2020? Well, the Bible gives us the answer in Hebrews chapter 1. So let's read the verses together. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to read the first four verses. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Dangers and obstacles are overcome as men and women of faith follow the greatest inspirational leader there has ever been, the Lord Jesus. He is the one who all of us tonight are committed to following. And what can be achieved as a result of obeying him is beyond our imagination. Anything is possible. And the Holy Spirit wants to stir us to think of how great our inspiring leader is as we go into 2020. He's our saviour. He's our king. He's our priest. And yet the people who this book is being written to, many of them, have taken a very low view of who Jesus is. 
they've only looked at the very elementary basis of our Christian faith and have not gone on. The writer says you're like those who just want to drink milk. You're not interested in solid food. But by now, you should be teaching others. But you've just not gone forward in your Christian faith. And the consequence, and it's the context of why he's writing the book of Hebrews, is that the background situation is that in chapter 2, verse 1, some are drifting away. 3, verse 12, some are turning away. 4, verse 11, some are falling by disobedience. 6, verse 12, others are becoming lazy. 10, verse 36, some are deliberately going on sinning. 10, verse 35, many are just throwing carelessly away their confidence in God. And so the book of Hebrews presents an inspiring picture of an inspiring leader. If only we understand who he is and what he's doing, we would follow him and carry out what he wants us to do. So verse 1, let's go there for a moment. We find that we're told that he is God's son who speaks to us. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. We all know about the prophets of the Old Testament that came at different times and in different circumstances to present God's word. And isn't it interesting that at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, we aren't given the name of the writer. If you glance to the left at the book of Philemon, it's Paul who's writing. Another book, it'll be Peter introducing himself. Another place, it'll be James. But the book of Hebrews, we go straight to the person of Jesus. There is not to be any human interface mentioned there. He is the one the book is all about. It was there in Malachi that the promise was made that a messenger would be sent, i.e. the Messiah. But it was another 450 years before he came. And all that time they were relying on what had been said by the prophets and recorded in what we call the Old Testament. But now we find when Jesus comes, verse 2, in these last days... He's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Those prophets were great. We heard from one of them this morning in our morning meeting. But how much greater is the one who has now come when Jesus arrives? He is actually God's Son. And God speaks to us directly through him in what are known as the last days. Now, the last days start with the arrival of Jesus. So we've had 2,000 years now of the last days. Peter emphasizes that in his speech at the uh, Pentecost. And God has spoken through his son who genuinely came to this planet. You could come with us And in Capernaum, 
you can stand on the very foundation of the synagogue where Jesus gave his talk about the bread of life from John 6. You're reading the very words of Jesus in the very place that he stated them. You can go up to the hills above Galilee and read what he taught in what we call the Beatitudes. And you're actually reading the very words of God himself expressed there in those hills. And of course, in our own personal reading of the Bible, here we are benefiting from his inspiring leadership, Jesus, the Son of God. And our response is to bow to his authority and to obey him. And just in case we're not too sure of why he should have authority, we're told that he is the heir of all things. Now, an heir means that he is the one who is legally responsible and to whom everything belongs. And I'm sure we're well aware of that astonishing verse in Romans 8:17 that actually says that we, as believers, are co-heirs with Christ. Through the cross, we actually also own all there is. And that's a truth that is beyond our understanding until we're there in eternity. He shares all things with us because we together corporately are the bride of Christ. We're to be his eternal companion. We're to share all his purposes and plans and all that he has, we share with him. And those who understand this put Jesus first as their inspiring leader. They don't drift away. They're filled with excitement and anticipation of what God is doing and will be doing through the whole of eternity. And again, if we were not too sure about what Jesus has as qualifications for being our inspiring leader, we're told he created the universe and everything beyond. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, by the thrones or powers, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is our leader to whom we can turn in every situation because everything belongs to him. Everything has been made by him. And it takes a step further when it says that he sustains all things by his powerful word. You remember that it was by the word that the whole of creation came into being. And by that same word, the whole of creation is sustained by our inspiring leader, Jesus. And as that creator and maintainer of everything, he's got command in every situation. Name any situation. He's the one who has over all authority. He's moving times and events 
towards his eventual return. And we're looking forward to that, aren't we? Knowing that one day Jesus is going to come back, we just don't know the exact date. And what he does is maintain all things in terms of their existence. The very molecules that form our bodies are held together by the power of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Forces in the atoms that form the molecules that form our bodies are held together by the Lord himself. So he sustains all things by his powerful word. But what is very personal and extremely important for each one of us is that he provided purification for sins. I think we have to ask ourselves, as failures, and all of us know we are, how could we possibly follow such an inspiring leader? Surely he wouldn't anything to do with any one of us. But he gave himself for us. He doesn't count as undesirable failures. He loves us. And he went to the cross, as we're going to be reminded later tonight. And our response is that we love him. And the very fact that we are such undesirable failures, loved by the holy, pure God, makes us love him. I always remember when we were going to run a children's uh, mission out on Westway Common. And uh, we hadn't got a marquee. So we approached the leader, one of the leaders of the boys' camp, said, could we borrow the camp marquee? Now, the men who ran that camp had all been in the army or the RAF, and uh, they knew keeping the canvas in pristine condition was a major responsibility. So I didn't expect to get a yes, but we did. And we were asked, whatever you do, guard that marquee day and night. Yes, we said we would. Put the marquee up on Westway Common, ran the mission for the whole week, and then Sunday morning came. And we thought, well, we've heard stories of people setting off for Sunday morning service despite the Luftwaffe overhead and over, over uh, all kinds of problems. So God will look after the marquee. When we came back, some children had found the spikes and had used the marquee as target practice. And there were rips in the marquee. My heart sank. We had to return the marquee and say, we're very sorry, but um, it's ripped. You know, the one we gave it back to didn't say a word against us. You would have thought he would have said, well, look, I told you to look after it. But he didn't. He accepted it. He borrowed an industrial sewing machine, sewed up all the rips. We were forgiven. And I can tell you how much we respected that man for responding in such a loving way. And then we do the same with the Lord Jesus. Far more than ripped canvas, we've got ripped lives. But Jesus went to the cross. He's forgiven us. And our response is to love him. What an inspiring leader we have in Jesus. 
And his position is one of being in the place of complete victory. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's an indication that he has total victory over Satan and all satanic powers. Therefore, he's an inspiring leader. We don't have to fear anything as those who follow him. Our inspiring leader is in full control. No need for worry and anxiety. He said that. In Psalm 94, verses 18 and 19, we read, When I said, my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. What an inspiring leader we have. Verse 3 and 4. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. He is absolutely superior to the angels. Now, angels are important. We're told in Hebrews 1, verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Their job is to serve you and me and to be involved in what we're doing. Now, of course, usually we don't recognize an angel and they don't appear with big shiny wings as you might do in the children's pictures. Usually, you don't realize it's an angel who's involved. They met the women at the tomb. An angel released Peter from prison. An angel went to Philip and instructed him about going to intercept the Ethiopian official. An angel appeared on the boat with Paul on a boat that was heading to be shipwrecked in order to reassure him. But Jesus is superior to these angels. His name is the Son of God, and there is no greater name. So thinking about him as our inspiring leader for 2020, Hebrews 12 verse 2 is very appropriate. It says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God wants us to look to his son for inspiration during this coming year. That's why week by week, remembering him through the breaking of bread is so important. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus, our savior, our priest, our king, the one who we're following And then we won't lose heart and grow weary. 
will be those who keep on keeping on. I do remember talking to somebody who was much, much older than me, so it's obviously a long time ago, and he'd been in the army in the war. And I remember him saying to me, you know, all the time we were advancing under very effective commanders, nothing would stop us. No obstacle was too great. No inconvenience would put us down. And you know, we, as a church and individuals, are going to be advancing in 2020, trusting not in ourselves, not first and foremost trusting in the leadership of the church, but in the inspiring leadership of Jesus himself. And we do that through prayer. And the impossible becomes possible. And we're going to see even amazing obstacles overcome because it's our inspiring leader that we're following. But he also said, you know, on one occasion, we were retreating as an army. And he said, it was the most difficult time because even the smallest annoyance became huge and was difficult to handle. Morale was so low, and you wouldn't have imagined the small things that really upset us. And that's what the devil wants. He wants us to retreat. And we'll do that if we fail to fix our eyes on Jesus. And even small things will deter us and annoy us. And we'll only attempt what we think is humanly possible because our trust in our heavenly example will be missing. So as we remember him in the breaking of bread, we're fixing our eyes on him. As I said, we won't grow weary and lose heart. We'll press on for the impossible objectives that he puts in front of us, because he's our inspiring leader. In Hebrews 11, verses 33 to 38, you read of the amazing things that were achieved during Old Testament times by people of faith. The impossible became possible as they trusted in God. When you read in the book of Acts, in the New Testament times, following Jesus as their inspiring leadership, we find the church is established 3,000 become Christians, 5,000 become Christians. And eventually, by the time Paul ends up in Rome, the gospel's reached there. The then known world has been reached within one lifetime. The impossible, not with Jesus as their inspiring leader. Jesus said, didn't he, go into all the world and preach the news to all creation. That was his command. He also said, if anyone does not take up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me. Jesus, our king, our priest, our redeemer, requires full and total commitment. And anything less just isn't worthy of him. Here we have in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. A wonderful verse to take with us into 2020. Remembering we're not going to meet like this until next year. But thanks be to God who always leads us 
in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. May we make him our leader in every situation and he'll inspire us and achieve so much that we'll be honouring to his name. So as we do, let's move across now to having a discussion around our tables. And I suggest that the questions, the ones we have on the screen, what is going to motivate us to follow Jesus as our leader in 2020? And in our church, what seemingly impossible goals should we have for 2020? And how we, can we encourage one another to fix our eyes on Jesus? So over to all of us to discuss those three questions. And then eventually Dave will take back again.